It was 1979. ACDC was making its way across the United States with its Highway to Hell tour. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But for Barry Taylor, who was the band's roadie, there was something else. And it was a bit of a surprise. It was God. Barry had become increasingly disillusioned. He was searching for a way of being a better human being. During this time, he writes that he had come to despise himself. He claims that he was never really looking for God, that he'd started this quest for a better life by diving into philosophy, and he ended up stumbling into questions about spirituality and religion. His conversion was dramatic and life-altering. During the California stint of the tour, he was confronted with a mystery that began to shape and give language to the ache in his soul. Barry left the highway to hell and began a new journey towards hope and meaning. He's the source of one of my favorite quotes. It's how I stumbled into his story. I wanted to source who it was that said it. I wanted to understand why they wrote it and what they meant by it. Here's the quote. God is the name of the blanket that we throw over mystery to give it shape. It kind of reminded me of John Shelby Spong when he says that he honors his own Anglican tradition, not because he thinks that his Anglican tradition defines God, but because his religious tradition merely points him to God. God is bigger than any one denomination or religion can claim, because God doesn't wear a jersey. But we have to throw a blanket over it to define it so we can see it, so we can hold it. The blanket is inadequate at perfectly giving us the whole picture, but it gives us a glimpse of something. It's not meant to cover it. Instead, it's meant to allow us to see the shape of something that was previously only mysterious. And I think from reading about Barry Taylor's story, he came to understand that choosing to trust in the divine, choosing to search for the divine, is like allowing the intangible to be seen. See, we try and use words to describe an incredible experience that we've had, but sometimes words are useless, right? Sometimes they limit what we're, we're trying to express. They, they limit what we've experienced, and it can make it worse. They say that one of the markers of a mystical experience, according to those who research them, is that the experience itself is ineffable. In other words, it's impossible to use words to describe it. It's just unexplainable. But we have to start somewhere. I think Barry followed that mystery, and as it began to take shape of God in his life, he would find himself, after his conversion as a pastor, later writing, and now as a theologian teaching at Fuller Theological Seminary. What a journey. I was thinking about his description of God, and I thought that it had a great way for us to understand this idea of spiritual practice. The past couple of weeks, we've been speaking about different disciplines that help us wake up to the presence of God in our lives. These practices become avenues to feel connection to that which is greater than us, which seems to allow us to overcome and rise above the limiting view we have both of who we are and what we're a part of. And I think that one of the biggest struggles I hear people um, talk about in cultivating a spiritual life is the question of, how do I do it? It isn't that spirituality is complicated, because it actually isn't. It's that humanity is complicated. And so we set out in the first week of this series uh, in More Than Appealing, we looked at God's presence 
being accessible. And that if we could just be present in our own lives, we might discover that God was there all along. In week two, we discussed the idea of Sabbath in uh, the message called The Rest of God. We considered changing the way we see life, the practice of rising from gratitude and rest as a way of starting our day, not as a way of collapsing into our beds, of learning to trust so that we can learn to let go and rest. In week three, in scarcity, to abundance, Jan talked about giving and generosity as a way of connecting and joining God in the meeting of needs of others, and surprisingly, of ourself as well in that process. The spiritual practice of generosity discovers that there is no limit to God's abundance, only in our desire. And last week, in losing the Bible and finding Jesus, Jan inspired a discussion on Scripture as a way to confront ideas that can both challenge and inspire us. Now, we could continue this series for months as there's as many different ways to practice our spirituality as there are people to do it. We could talk about the importance of practicing community as a way of feeling the presence of God. In fact, I encourage you to to go back and listen to our back catalog, Belonging, from last fall. It's all about that. And while you're there, listen to the series on prayer that we did as well, another practice that opens us up to the living presence of God's love and hope and peace. But today, as I wrap up an incomplete series, I want to move the goalposts a bit. I want to use Barry Taylor's epiphany to do it. I want to suggest something. I want to suggest that spiritual practice is the name of the blanket that we throw over faith to give it shape. Spiritual practices don't necessarily define our faith, but they can bring shape to it. Not completely, but in a way that it can be held and understood. And I think this is important, uh, an important conversation for us to have. You see, I meet lots of people who struggle with the idea of faith thinking it's just something you have to believe. That it's just about information that you have to affirm. And once they do, some often wonder why their life doesn't seem to get any easier. Like, for some reason, that would be the point of it. But what if faith isn't a finish line, but a way of running? A way of experiencing this life, not just a way of ending it. Faith is meant to become a lens by which we're able to see differently. C.S. Lewis uses this language to describe his faith when he says that, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It has become like a blanket that is given enough shape to begin to make sense of things that often don't. Imagine faith as a blanket that we can throw over the ambiguity of grief that gives us a way of seeing it, attaching meaning to it. Faith as a blanket we can throw over suffering as a means to see enough to create some purpose. This is the power of spiritual practices. They have the power to give shape to something that largely is difficult, difficult to speak about and difficult to hold. I mean, we can try. But I think this is where Jesus uh, offers us some guidance here. We think about him meeting the disciples one by one along the shores of the streets, the shores and streets of Palestine, and he beckons them to come and to follow him, basically saying, "Come, check this out." He says he's going to make them fishers of mankind. Now, I don't think that that can be explained easily. Instead, it'll have to be demonstrated. So come and see, he's saying. Come follow. And I think they did largely out of curiosity at first. 
At what point, though, did these disciples who are following Jesus become believers in him and his mission? Who knows? I'm not sure we know when they became followers, to be honest. I think at first they were stragglers. At some point, though, they were all in, inspired by what they saw, inspired by what they heard, having witnessed what he was up to, realizing that Jesus didn't just talk about God. He seemed to be the tangible expression of God. Jesus at one point will even say, you've seen me, you've seen God. Now, he doesn't mean long hair, toga, and sandals. He means the ground of all being, love, grace, hope, purpose. One might say that Jesus is the blanket thrown over God to give her shape so we can comprehend unconditional love. I mean, the stories he tells do a pretty good job at kind of explaining and defining the beauty of God, but nothing like the events of Passion Week to embody it. Ironically, that would be the story that the disciples would write. Regardless, the disciples are convinced by what they experience over time with Jesus that their belief seems to follow their practice. Or perhaps it's their practice that follows their belief. At some point, they are both follower and believer. They don't happen simultaneously. One always seems to precede the other. Isn't it interesting that before they were called Christians, they were known as the people of the way? You see, the way to Jesus is the way of Jesus. You've heard me say it before, and I'm still trying to hold this, still trying to understand this, because it's true. Both Matthew and Luke record a similar story told by Jesus after an afternoon of teaching. He's talked for an entire afternoon to a huge crowd that is gathered. Missing from the whole talk is any theology. There is nothing in this lengthy message about what to believe. Instead, it is full of how we can live, or maybe better said, about an alternative way to respond to life. It makes me wonder if practice makes faith easier to comprehend. I'm saying this for the sake of those who are skeptical about faith. Perhaps the road is made by walking. Jesus in his talk addresses many of the things that we struggle with in our human experience, and his ideas seem to defy conventional wisdom. He teaches on anger and offers a new way to consider it and a practice to process it. He teaches on lust and desire and radically emphasizes how important it is to practice self-control. He teaches on a new way to respond to those who you struggle with, both those who seem to take advantage of you and those who may cause you to suffer. He offers a radical alternative to the ego and a new practice and response to these encounters. He talks about generosity and greed and about praying. He addresses trust in a section on anxiety. He speaks about not judging and about kindness. And in all of these ideas, he offers practical ways of holding them differently. Simple, but not easy. He encourages a practice of perseverance and curiosity. And then at the end of this long talk, which I'm convinced was not boring because it seemed to be so provocative, I mean, what didn't he talk about? The people, Matthew writes, were astonished at the end. Not asleep, not bored, not angry. Astonished at his words. He seemed to think that God can do more with sin than just forgive it. 
that God can empower us towards transformation. This is a livable faith. It's got teeth in this life. If your spirituality doesn't offer you any hope for the things we struggle with in the here and now, I wouldn't trust it to deliver anything in the hereafter. But listen to this final story Jesus tells at the end of his long talk. One of the most buried and misunderstood ideas that Jesus will share, I think. Yet, it holds to me the key that opens the door to a vibrant spirituality. Let me read from Matthew's recollection in chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and practices them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain will fall, and the floods will come, and the winds will blow and beat on that house, but it won't fall, because it's been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fall, and the floods will come, and the winds will blow and beat against that house, and it will fall, and great will be the fall of it. Anyone who truly understands these ideas, he's saying, as a way of living, will have built their life on a solid foundation. Wow. The foundation are these teachings, these practices that Jesus has taught. Notice Jesus doesn't say in this story that if the rains come, and if the floods come, and if the wind blows. No, he says, when you find yourself experiencing the stuff of life, That happens to us all. I think people have somehow believed that a spiritual life is absent of those things. And that's why one chooses to follow Jesus so they can avoid these storms. But that's not life. Jesus says, listen, storms happen. It's part of the experience of humanity. And you may be shook, you may be battered, but your practice will hold you together. Why? Because that's what it does best. You see, it can be too late to decide how you're going to respond to anger when you're already angry. It can be too late to decide how to respond to lust and desire as it's ruining your marriage or your job or your life or your relationships. It can be too late to figure out how to respond to ego, fortune, or fear when they are disguised as success. These emotions are so overpowering and deceiving, they often just can't be trusted. Jesus is saying, make up your mind now about what you want to believe about the stuff of life and create gestures that embody that belief. Create a practice. That is the power of discipline. Our spiritual practices are the things we choose, the activities we involve ourselves in, absolutely, but they're also how to the tools and how we respond to the things we didn't choose in this life. Our spiritual practice is both our actions and our reactions to the things that we experience. And this story is so often misquoted, never really unpacked, but it isn't because it's complicated. If your practice, if you practice the ideas Jesus is talking about here, Regarding all the pedestrian moments of our Monday to Fridays, you are building your life on a strong foundation, he says. And it takes practice. There are certain practices Jesus will tell us that we need to be careful not to talk too much about. In Matthew chapter 6, just the chapter previous, he says, Be careful of practicing your spirituality just so people see you 
and think that you're something special. He specifically uses giving and prayer as an example. These are the kind of practices that you do anonymously so that your ego doesn't rob you of the gift of humility. But some spiritual practices cannot be hidden because when you choose to practice the way of peace instead of conflict, when you choose to practice the way of forgiveness instead of resentment, when you choose to practice the way of trust instead of fear, when you choose to practice generosity instead of greed, when you choose to do the hard work of not wanting what others have and instead loving what is already yours, when you choose the way of Jesus, another world appears. A whole other way is made that didn't exist before. Options appear that wouldn't have if we led by fear, hatred, lust, or pride. And this other world that appears, Jesus says, is the kingdom of God. And the reason Jesus teaches us to pray that earth become as it is in heaven is because it can be. And it only takes practice. And sometimes we we may even surprise ourselves, catching a glimpse of our own lives being transformed, taking shape into something that looks a lot like Jesus. Jesus. 